Welcome to Conversations, Stories from the Faculty of the Department of Communication Studies. We're happy to have with us Natalie Pennington, Dr. Natalie Pennington, and she will join me. I'm Kevin Stoker and Dr. Dave Norris, my colleague here. Always a pleasure, my friend. And we're happy to talk to Natalie. You know, Natalie is one of the most interesting people I know. One of the things that really fascinates me about Natalie is that she's interested in online relationships and social media. Natalie, is is that because you got were in an online relationship somewhere back? <laughs> talk, talk, tell us about how oh, you got funny. interested in that. Yeah, um, thank you for having me. I uh, My interest in this, I think, started with uh, Facebook started my freshman year of college. So for me, um, being on sort of that, you know, as universities start to get social media, and there was, you know, social media before that, having MySpace, uh, Friendster, that stuff. But uh, it was really the friend level of that at first for me that I think was interesting. And then um, I was in a long distance relationship. So that was one thing that at the time I also, um, getting into comm, because I didn't start as a comm major, uh, started to kind of be interested in those things too. Uh, and then I just kind of shifted from there. I was like, oh, wait, I could study Facebook. Let's do that. Uh, and, and just kind of ran with it. And I, and I also know you were a debater. Does yes. this go back to high school, right? It does. It does, yeah. Um, and I did debate through college as well, um, all through undergrad, and then coached through my master's and my PhD um, for Kansas State University and uh, the University of Kansas, uh, and but then competed for Missouri State, which was my undergrad, Go Bears. Um, and uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was what got me into comm. I was not, so I started as a political science major and then moved over to communication studies. My debate coach convinced me to take, people laugh at when I say this story, a research methods class. <laughs> and wow. that was the one that got me like, oh my God, this is so cool. Uh, and they do it a really interesting way at Missouri State. I think maybe I've told you about this before, where they have, uh, you do all three methods in one class mm-hmm. and you rotate with the same 20 people for like six weeks, six weeks, six weeks. And so it's, I do six weeks of quant, six weeks of qual, six weeks of rhetoric. They themed the class. So like you're gonna study conflict from these three different lenses. And I was like, oh, this is fun. I was like, wait, I can like do this for a living. <laughs> and so kept doing it. Yeah, that really, if you love that, <laughs> that's exactly you what you are really ready to become a professor, most definitely. <laughs> that was what my debate coach said. He was like, if this is what you enjoy, then this is what you should do. So, so how'd you get into debate? Uh, debate was a sibling thing. So I'm the baby of the family, uh, and my brother and my sister both did debate. Uh, and at first, I tried to resist because I didn't want to be like my siblings. Right. So I joined drama, uh, and then I was, <laughs> wasn't really sure I wanted to do drama, and so convinced the debate coach to let me switch classes by saying my siblings do it, and everybody knows. You know, my, my sister was particularly good at debate, and so being able to leverage her name, uh, we went to different high schools, <laughs> but being able to say. Uh, all the interesting things. But yeah, so that's what I, for me, was uh, got got in because my siblings did it and then just kept doing it because I enjoyed it. Were family meals quite in- interesting <laughs> at your house? Uh, I mean, so me and my sister were raised by my dad and my brothers were raised by my mom. And me and my sister were probably way too much of a handful for my dad to, uh, but he was very wonderful to deal with our, we're two years apart. And so <laughs> different high schools, <laughs> but <laughs> yes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> so you've been at UNLV. We were just talking before we hit record for five years. And in that time, we had, as you mentioned, we had 
the COVID, right? So the pandemic kind of upended everything, but it also made that experience kind of fly by. Tell us where you're from initially and kind of what got you to Las Vegas and what have you loved about being at UNLV? Oh, so many good things there. Uh, so as I mentioned, uh, born in Texas, actually. So this is why I love these uh, uh, podcasts because I went to Nick afterwards and said, oh my gosh, I'm a Dallas baby too. Uh, mm-hmm. And so we got to connect on that. Um, but so born in Texas, raised mostly Missouri, Kansas. I said Missouri State for my undergrad. Stuck around the Midwest because I just, it was comfortable. And so did K-State for my master's and then University of Kansas for my PhD. Uh, after I finished my PhD, I actually ended up working at Kansas State for a couple of years. Uh, my husband also worked there as the director of debate. Uh, and then uh, we wanted something new. Uh, you know, I think we en- had enjoyed what Kansas offered, but just kind of saw this opportunity. This position had opened here. Uh, I knew a couple Jayhawks here. Uh, and mm-hmm. so reached out to them and they said, oh, my gosh, we love it. Yes, apply. Uh, and it has been so much fun. Uh, it's such a different environment. It was definitely weird at first adjusting to like palm trees trees and desert. I love no humidity. Um, but it's been a blast. Uh, you know, it's just it's me and my husband. We got two dogs, two cats. We take the dogs out playing every weekend if we can. Uh, head up California, Utah, Arizona, just trying to make sure that we, uh, we really get to enjoy the outdoors here. And that's been one of the biggest ones that I, I really love. Yeah, I know you're a passionate yeah. hiker. <laughs> yes. So tell me, what are your favorite places to go? Where are your favorite places to go hiking? Yeah. So a big criteria for us is dog friendly, right? So that definitely does create kind of a a weird what marker kind of for dogs some are we talking about? Mm-hmm. They're both rescues. Um, so we adopted one when we were in Kansas, uh, and she's a lab Pomeranian cattle dog Chow Chow mix. Wow. Um, write that know, down, you know, Kevin. So yes. Uh, my sister dubbed it a Labaranian cattle Chow. <laughs> so, uh, but Piper, uh, we say she's our little princess, and so we've had Piper for six years this weekend, actually. Uh, and then we adopted our second dog, Bokobi, during the pandemic. Uh, he came from Arizona. Very similar background from Piper. To people who had had uh, like hoarding houses unfortunately lots of pets mm-hmm. and so we brought Bacobi into the fold he's even more breeds that I can <laughs> he's very cute just a little ball of energy um, he's got Vizsla and German Shepherd in him so he's just very um, he locks on to something and goes for it <laughs> but uh, so they got to run the energy out of them right so um, they're great to just take out so in terms of our favorite spots uh, you know we got an America the Beautiful Pass uh, and go out mm-hmm. to Lake Mead a ton and that's a really um, big one for us just dive off into you know there's so many different spots you can do if you've never done the Bowl of Fire that one's really fun people don't always mm-hmm. know about that so um, mile marker this is at Lake Mead yeah Lake Mead yeah mile marker 18.1 there's just like four little spots and you can park and uh, I've actually uh, we brought Rebecca and Trevor out there with us once to show it to him, but just a really beautiful. You got to catch it like really early in the day because it can get really hot really fast. Mm-hmm, but um, but that's mm-hmm. a favorite. Um, I lo- in the summer when it's really really hot, uh, out Mount Charleston, the uh, Bristlecone Trails. So there's upper and lower. Mm-hmm. Those are really really great. And in winter, if I want some snow, then those are good too. But uh, immediate, those are my favorite. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you study and kind of what your research focus is. Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned before, my first sort of, I think, foray into research was really looking at social media first. And so uh, Facebook is the most popular back in, I'm dating myself back in 2004, getting popular. Uh, and then, you know, went, went uh, was at high school, 2006, public by 2008. And so really primarily Facebook for a long time, started to sort of expand that and look at also just general social media, social networking, interested in 
how people um, argue on it, uh, mm-hmm. make friends, end friends. And so really interested in this more broader social network perspective of like strong ties and weak ties, how on social media, you know, it's I always do this in class. I, I say, keep your hand up until and the number of people that people are connected with on social media is just insane to me. Um, because research says in terms of our actual social interactions and relationships, we're really only pretty good at like upper limit of 150-ish. But as we know, people are like, oh, yeah, I've got 5,000 Facebook friends. I've got 10,000 Instagram followers. Mm-hmm. So those things are really interesting to me. Um, more recently, and especially I think in part due to the pandemic, expanding that even further to look at all types of communication technology. So really interested in how we can satisfy our connection and belongingness needs uh, with others, whether that be weak ties or strong ties through phone calls, texting, video chat, um, just kind of all those different contexts. And then, uh, you know, I, I like to collaborate. So also trying to find opportunities to connect with folks that I enjoy. So a little bit with politics, a little bit with uh, wearable health mm-hmm. trackers. So if it's got a tech part or relationship, you can probably sell me on wanting to uh, be a part of a study. (laughs) So in doing that, uh, so I I think I have a series of questions here. In doing that, what has been kind of your most fascinating discovery as you've done this? um, There's two parts, I'll say. So I think one that was just uh, like I kind of blew my mind and made me do additional studies, which I thought was a valuable, like, this is something I found that made me want to keep asking questions, was that in my dissertation, I asked people um, under what conditions they might unfriend or unfollow or hide somebody on social media. So, you know, this person's oversharing way too much, I'm uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. and theory says that go too fast too soon with disclosure and people pull back. Um, But social media, that's not the case. So overwhelmingly, the answer and really range of things like this person posts negative things about you online and people overwhelmingly did nothing. There were some, you know, small significant effects because it's a big sample. So statistically, some things that I could say, but really the visual here of this compelling descriptive of overwhelmingly, we do nothing. Uh, I was like, but what, like, why? We, you know, these aren't, we're not talking to these people. We're not interacting with them. And so from a calm perspective saying, like, what's the benefit? Why don't we just hit the unfriend button? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that led me kind of down the rabbit hole to learn a little bit more about why those things happen. Do you think it's because we don't want to unfriend people because then we won't have so many friends? That's a little bit of it. So the biggest reasons that people offered that I think kind of resonated for me, um, one is that social capital. So um it doesn't hurt to have these people in my network, and I don't know where I'm going to be when, and I might need to know something that this person knows. Totally fair. Um, there's also, and this one I think is tricky, like a nostalgia. And people don't unfriend people because those are connected to a time and a place of who they were. And mm-hmm. so there's some positive parts to that and some negative parts to that too, I think. Um, and the last one is face work, right? So uh, what if I see this person and they ask me why we're not friends anymore? And people are very concerned about, I think, that face side of it. And so try to be careful. <laughs> and is a part of uh, the Facebook culture to uh, that goes against by unfriending somebody, you kind of go against what the you know format does, what yeah. Facebook's all about. Yeah, and it's it's a very active choice, right? I can passively just keep people in my network versus actively having, and I think they make it so, like the number of times you have to be like, no, really, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and so they don't make it easy for you. And then I think also just because they use the word friend instead of follower, that that can also kind of even perceptually make you feel like, oh, but that's a friend. 
Well, no, not. <laughs> my other question then is, what scares you about the things you've learned in your research? Uh, so I'll take one for that. That's one of the more recent studies I did. So as I said, I've kind of as I move past social media and just broadly think about um, interesting questions about social interaction and our relationships and whether or not technology can help us meet those needs, right? Especially in a pandemic context where you can't maybe see people face to face. And so we did a study where we asked people to share about experiences they had, uh, where they had long time of social interaction low or social interactions high. So people in like the low condition saying things like, uh, you know, I just moved to a new place. So we're trying to really get out, capture a time period, not just like a day. And then high connection, people were like, I love everyone I work with. They're fantastic. Uh, and so, but what we found is that it was counter to theory where people in the low connection were not communicating as much. So like in a, at a fearful perspective for me, it's recognizing a little bit of the rich get richer, poor get poorer component where... Mm theory says, I don't feel connected, I reach out, but that's not happening. And so trying to think about ways we can encourage or teach people about how to reach out when they're feeling low um, effectively. I'm curious, Natalie, you've been following social media and people's interaction on social media for a long time now. Admittedly, you know, Facebook's almost a 20-year-old company. Recently, and I say like, Maybe maybe even since just before COVID, but, you know, we've spent so much on time online throughout the pandemic. And, you know, people who may not have been comfortable on these platforms before ended up having to become comfortable on yeah. them. Has your research pointed to any sort of shift in people's behavior recently as the novelty of social media has worn off? And kind of the reality is, like, for some of these relationships, it's only going to be online or through these virtual platforms. And ha has th have things shifted or people's behaviors or perceptions of the platforms shifted as they've become more ubiquitous? Oh, that's such a good question. I think there's a couple parts to it that I can get at. So one is I actually think it's fantastic for people to realize that there might be benefits to relationships existing online and only being online. And uh, I teach a class where I have people join online communities as an activity. It, it, they don't have, they have lots of choices, but one of them is to join a subreddit and just engage and kind of think about that process. And then it gets them thinking about how, you know, especially if you don't have that support network in person for something, the chances you can build meaningful relationships online. And that's something that people have been saying in the comtech world since the 90s. And yet so often people are like, no, there has to be in person. And so I I do think there's a less of a pushback on that. I've noticed that in sort of how my students talk. Um, at the same time, sort of the flip here also is the, the the fear of social interaction now. Everything has been online. And now that I'm around people in person, I don't know how to act. And, and there was a lot of that fear expressed. I did a, a study where I interviewed and talked to college students about their experiences. And that was one was kind of repeated. Like, I don't know how to be around people now. Um, and so really thinking about that, how do we find a balance between the two, not fully online, not fully in person, recognizing those benefits, but still supporting those interaction needs. Fascinating. Tell us a little bit about your teaching. We'd love to hear not only what you teach, but maybe if there's a particular philosophy that you've tried to, um, you know, you've developed over the years that you try to impart in the classroom. Just talk to us about that a bit. Yeah. Uh, so I've taught a lot of research methods classes, primarily for the department. And that's been a big one, both at the undergraduate and graduate level. Uh, I was our graduate coordinator for a couple of years. So also um, doing some graduate professional development classes. Those are probably some of my favorites. I just love that chance to get them when they're they're just starting or also, you know, in year two, planning and thinking about uh, the future and saying what's next and also networking with alumni. So that's been really fun. Uh, I'm definitely 
definitely very much driven by uh, how can I practically apply this content? So very much of a skills-based approach when I can. I think theory is still fun, um, but sort of saying, you know, if I think about my day-to-day life, especially, so I teach my favorite class was my online relationships course. I'm teaching it right now, actually. I typically just teach it as a summer one class, but we got the chance to offer it. Um, and and it's, it's just such a fun one for me to get people thinking about all the different creative ways we use tech. Um, but expanding a little, also teaching HealthCom this semester, and that's been a nice uh, shift as well. Uh, just a fun, fresh class to teach. And I think there's some really fun and cool things to think about there. Uh, the students are developing public health campaigns. And I just got their topic choices last week, and there's so many fun topics. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I enjoy this. So, I have to admit, one of the things I've really marveled about you is how well you organize and structure things. Um, as graduate coordinator, you did some amazing things, not only with recruiting, but also with just kind of managing and operating so efficiently and everything else and just getting so much done. Where did that kind of, you know, more of, you know, you do the creative stuff online, but now we're talking about someone's very much uh, uh, analytical personality. Well, I'm a Virgo, so explains <laughs> everything, right? Yes, uh, no, but um, uh, I'm very organized. I always have been. I think a part of that is just I've always been a very busy person, and so you have to structure your time to do all of the things that you want to do. So, you know, in undergrad, I mentioned I traveled competitively for debate, but I also, you know, I still graduated in four years, and I worked forty hours a week at an Applebee's. Uh, oh, so, uh, Apple Buddy, um, uh, but so like. I had to make sure that I had everything scheduled. And so honestly, it felt like when I moved to grad school and it was, you know, teaching, coaching classes, I was like, oh, this is okay. But it forced me to have to create additional sort of because I had more time uh, and how to to balance that. But uh, OmniFocus is really the final answer. I love that. OmniFocus. It it is a uh, software I use (laughs) that is fantastic that helps keep me going on things. So. Oh, tell us more about that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's a scheduling platform that allows me to create all kinds of uh, folders and lists and break them down by, you know, I've got my one for every semester. It's a little ridiculous. Every semester uh, within those semesters, the teaching versus research within those, the classes within that. And so then I and I can set things for recurring. So I'm a research pool coordinator. Every two weeks, I want to message the students to remind them about studies that are available. I have a reoccurring reminder that on 10 a.m. on Tuesdays, every two weeks, I send that note. And so it'll kind of Mm. message that to me. Um, But I can also add additional notes in. I can share things. And so it just helps me sort of know the different parts because there are so many moving pieces. <laughs> well, let's talk about your own social media. Yes. Tell me about managing that and kind of what what do you want to be known for and, and what's been great going well for that in that area? Mm, that is a fun question. I, I don't use a lot of social media, actually. Mm. Um, I, I'd say my most active is my Twitter, uh, and that's a very professional facing, um, you know, engaging with academic Twitter. Uh, and so connecting with other folks to talk about research and sort of learn and network in that way. Um, my Facebook, 
I actually just use this example with my students in my class. Sometimes I, I talk about our, our media use is really driven by our relationships, not the other way around. And so I'm on Facebook, not because I love Facebook, but because my husband quit Facebook and his family wants to know what's going on with us. And that's mm. where I'm most connected to his family. So now I'm stuck on which I adore his family and could talk to them in other ways, too. And we do. But uh, Joe's like, you can't quit because then they can't see the dogs. Uh, and so, uh, so that one's an easy one. Um, but yeah, I... I I lurk a lot on social media because I think it's important to know and think about how people communicate through them. But I'm very much not a poster. I tend to watch rather than write. <laughs> the observer. Yeah. Natalie, you've, you're clearly an accomplished professional. You've done you. quite a lot. You've been very productive. If you look at your career, yeah, and, and you can go back to childhood, really, but if you look at this kind of span of time, Talk to us about one of the experience, or maybe there's an experience that was really monumental, so to speak, in kind of forming who you are today. You know, if there's if there's a moment or an experience or something that you participated with, clearly, you know, all of the work that you did with debate over the years had to have been important. But can you point to something that really helped shape who you are as a professional and a person today? Ooh, that's hard. I know. I don't Put know. You that on I, the spot. I don't know that I know the answer to that one. Um, you know, I do think uh, every choice we make helps inform, of course, where we get to. I I started at graduate school, very interested in qualitative work. I was very fearful of numbers, and so of course, as I mentioned, I now teach the quant classes. I like the numbers. Uh, in my first year of my PhD program, I actually joined my university to work with someone else uh, and met a faculty member who became my advisor. He, he poached me. Uh, but I, I would say that first study with Jeff was really the like, oh, there's like these big things you can do. You can work in a research team, really kind of seeing the life of a study. I think that for me really helped really make clear that this is something that I want to do as a career and the chances that I could get from that. So that was a big one. Um, I mean... I, yeah, that's hard. <laughs> and and it, admittedly, you know, this is this is mm. asking you kind of on the spot. <laughs> what what shifted you the most or shaped you the most? So I'll ask you another question that should hopefully be a lot easier. Since you spent forty hours a week for many years working at Applebee's, a do you ever frequent Applebee's anymore? And b if you did, what would you eat? Uh, what a fantastic question. Me and my sister joke about that because she ended up taking a job there. Uh, we did end up eventually liking each other. I do uh, very much adore my sister. High school, Wendy and Natalie, not friends. College, Wendy and Natalie, totally friends. Um, but so she did end up getting a job at the one I worked at uh, as well. And uh I, I tell her sometimes, I was like, you know, I think that was my main source of food for so long because, you know, every weeknight when I'm in town, that's where I'm eating and then I'm traveling for debate. Uh, I have not eaten at an Applebee's in a very long time. Uh, I was a bartender in my final uh, couple of years there as well. So I feel like I might still be able to make a perfect margarita if I wanted, which is an Apple mm-hmm. tea, Applebee's specialty with our little shaker um, and martini glass. Uh, there are definitely dishes that I'm like, mm-hmm. was that good or was that weird then? Uh, you know, they had the Fiesta lime chicken was a popular one back in the day. Uh, the number of uh, people splitting uh, oriental chicken salads and crispy chicken bowls was quite high. I can't believe I'm like, you've just caused me to remember way more of the Applebee's mem- uh, menu than I thought I would. I apologize, oh my God. Uh, But no, uh, if I was to eat there today, I would go for a, an old staple, the appetizer sampler. 
mm-hmm. uh, oldie mm-hmm. but a goodie, right? You can get a little bit of quesadilla, a little bit of wings, some spinach already choked up. All right. Inside yeah. source yeah. over yeah. here, Kevin, yeah. the inside so. source. <laughs> so if there's a, a place or uh, an adventure you'd like to take, what would it be? Ooh, well, I have one that's pl- that's being planned that I'm quite excited for. Um, so me and my uh, two best friends are taking a trip to Italy uh, in mm. spring 2024. Uh, and it, so uh, this actually started getting planned during the pandemic and was kind of something fun for us to start. You know, two, two of the three of us are learning Italian. The third said, oh, well, if you all know it, I don't need to learn it. Um, <laughs> the but, practice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> we're, get, we're getting there. Um, but so we had had a trip planned because we're friends and we like to try to get together. And it was local. And then it got canceled. And she was pretty bummed. And we said, OK, well, let's, you know, let's look bigger. What's the what's the big thing we can do? And started trying to find places that all three of us wanted to go. And that came up. And so it's, we're very all-com professors. Mm-hmm. And so uh, every conference we've been getting together the past few, now that we're in person again, um, making steps towards concretely planning it uh, and got our locations picked out. And each of us are in charge of a section. Um, I'm in charge of Rome. And then we're also looking at Florence and at uh, Sicily. Uh, so I'm excited for that. It does sound exciting. Yeah. Well, if there's something we should have asked you that we haven't, mm. what would that be? If people want to really know about <laughs> Natalie and everything else, what should we have asked? Mm. I mean, I think that the one thing people would most say is probably the dogs and hiking. Um, I'm very vocal about my love of that. So anytime people have a good recommendation of a cool place to hike, I always want to hear it. I've got uh, outside my office on the fourth floor, cute pictures of the pets. Uh, I have two, two cats, two old ladies. They run the house. Um, they, yeah, the dogs are deeply terrified of the cats, as they should be. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, yeah, I can't think of anything. Um yeah, you know, thank you for having me. It's really cool. I said I, I loved listening to the earlier episodes. And I think as somebody who's interested in in friendship and connection, I was like, oh, this is like making me learn new things about my colleagues and feeling closer to them. And, be, you know, again, got to go to Nick and say Dallas, too. Or, there you, go. Uh, you know, yeah. with Rebecca uh, talking about how we met our partners. And the same thing. Emma was also she met her partner through debate. And so that's how I met And Joe. you met your, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. And, and I think it's interesting that, Joe is not in, uh, went a different route in terms of his career. He was a communications person. Got it? Did he mm-hmm. get his PhD? Did not get or, his PhD, just but he his, got master, his master's. Got his master's. And he was a debater and everything, but he has stayed kind of close to it. Yeah, he he got out when we moved here, so that was an active choice for him to to try out some new new ways of doing things. But he works at a law firm here in See, town, I told you. so yeah, uh, so related. And I think that he loves that ability to sort of. Um, have a nine to five come home uh, and and then of course uh, gets to hear me um, talk through things and it's nice because he has that perspective right um, but but yeah we met in the master's program at K-State and then he um, became the director of debate there and is now happily enjoying a nine to five <laughs> well Natalie it's been lovely having you with us and it's just fascinating I, I really interesting stuff thank you so much for having me it's thank always you fun. thank you 